Good morning, church. Good to be with you today. If we've not had a chance to meet, my name is Mark Duncan. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Salem. I'm so glad to share this morning together with you in God's Word. If you've got a copy of God's Word with you, you go ahead and turn to Psalms chapter 32 today. Uh, We are in the middle of a series this summer with an unusual name. You may not recognize before. I had a lot of questions about why, what is that word and how do you say that? The the name of the series is actually a name for God in the, in the scriptures, and the way you say it is Jira, Jira, and it really speaks to the character quality of God as one who is a provider, one who provides what is needed at just the right time, Jehovah Jira, the provider. In the last few weeks, we've looked at how God is a provider of strength. And then we looked at last week how God is a provider of direction when we're often disoriented amidst the circumstances of our life. And today, we're going to look at another aspect of God's provision, which I think is one that we honestly would reflect on and agree with the most, but perhaps in reality, in our comfort with this, have become disconnected from how valuable it is. And that's God as a provider of forgiveness. The Lord provides forgiveness. And as I think about, like, what is often the hardest part of receiving really any of these things that we've talked about that the Lord provides? Why is it difficult for me sometimes to receive God's provision in my life? And if I'm honest, I have to come back to the reality of the reason why sometimes it's hard for me to receive what God gives is because it, I don't really want to be honest and admit that I don't really want any help. Like, I want to try to resolve things on my own, whatever the case may be. I want to be strong enough on my own without God having to intervene. I want to feel like I know what I'm doing and have direction without God having to be involved in the mix. And we talk about forgiveness and really the, the weight and the, the breadth of that, of which The entire Bible speaks to that, so we're not going to cover all of that today. Like, if we are honest with ourselves on that, God's forgiveness, while comfortable and while we would agree that that's something that we need and maybe desire, I think in reality that is hard to receive sometimes because we don't want to admit that we need it, right? Like, I don't want to admit that I need forgiving, all right? So we're often satisfied to operate in pain or dysfunction instead of going to God for what he provides because that is something that comes from outside of ourself. You know, I thought of something to illustrate that. In my house, I've got two girls, two little girls, uh, not as little as they used to be, but still, uh, we still relate in the same way in this respect anyways. Uh, Whenever one of the two girls finds a way of getting a splinter in their body, immediately I am the first aid technician for those types of things. Like, it's not a doubt, no competition. They're not going to go to mama for splinters. Um, They always come to me, you know. And so as we are going to take care of the splinter, it's always urgent. It's always now. It's never like, is this a good time? It's always like, this splinter feels like it's the size of a telephone pole jabbing through my arm, you know. You've got to take this out now or I may die. And it's that level of urgency. Parents understand that. 
So we go to the bathroom and I start gathering my tools and, and you, have to, you, see some, you see some cringing and some wincing whenever I grab the tweezers, you know, or whenever I pick up the bottle of rubbing alcohol and they're kind of like, ooh, this is going to sting a little bit. You know, it's going to hurt a little bit to get that thing out. And maybe there's even a little hesitation now. Kids, like, they'll give you a hand and then when you start, like, you're not even doing anything yet. You're just, like, feeling around. They're like, oh, like, I haven't started yet, you know, give it back. I'm just wiping off a little alcohol. Oh, you know, it's like the worst thing ever. He's like, you just got to trust me. You just got to give me that hand, all right? And so there's like, there's that moment of like resolution. We're like, okay, I hope I make it, you know, but also complete confidence, right? Because never for a moment did it occur to them that maybe they could get their own splinter out or try. They'd even make an effort. Why? Because they knew that dad would take care of it. It's not something that they could do. So they would come to me and let me do it. Yes, acknowledging maybe it, it might be a little painful. It might be a little painful. It might be hard. I might, not, I might be uncomfortable for a few minutes. But on the other side of that, that's living right there. Splinter free. That's where I want to be. And, and they will ask for help. Why? Because they've acknowledged that they need it that they need it. You know, forgiveness can be often one of the hardest things I believe to truly receive. Not like just in the sense that I want God to forgive my sin, but to actually feel and live as someone who's forgiven. It's hard for me to receive that because unlike splinters, sin and the things that it causes in my life are effects of what I do. These are things that I bring to the table. Like, I, I, can, I can try to push the blame around all that I want to, but at the end of the day, what really comes down to is, is this is what I've done, and I'm feeling the weight of that, and for me to acknowledge that I need someone to address, that means I have to have a reality check with me to say I'm the one that got myself into this situation, and that's the part, that's the reason, that's the check in our heart that does not make us run to God's forgiveness, we accept it. We even affirm that that is, I believe. Without Jesus, I would have no forgiveness. I, we just sang about it, right? Like, I believe these things, but it doesn't make me run to want to be forgiven because there's going to be a check somewhere in there where I have to look at myself in the mirror. And that's the part where we often give up before we get started. So let's make sure that we're on the same page, though, today about what we mean by forgiveness, okay? So I'm gonna give you a definition, a working definition for today of forgiveness. And it's this. Forgiveness is releasing a rightful claim on a debt that is owed. Releasing a claim on a debt that is owed. Of course, there's a lot of history in the financial world for forgiveness. So you've seen like debt forgiveness. The idea behind that is, is that I have somehow incurred a financial debt you know, to whomever that is, credit card company or whoever it is, they, they, have, they hold the note on the debt. And if I were to implore them, and in their mercy, they would find, find it in their hearts to decide to forgive me of the debt, that would mean that the debt would no longer be held over my head. Like, it would no longer be my debt. I think we understand that. But, like, if forgiveness can't start unless there is an outstanding debt or an obligation on behalf of a debtor. But this is the other part of forgiveness, which I think is really important to understand, 
especially when we throw out those words, even relationally with each other, I'm sorry, please forgive me, is to understand what we're actually asking the person to do. Yes, we're asking for mercy. We're asking for the debt to not to be held over our head. But the problem is, is that the person doing the forgiving is actually the person that has to absorb the debt. You ever thought about that? Put in a real life scenario. You have the husband and wife type of relationship. One of the two individuals in that relationship has brought sin into the relationship. Whatever the case may be, their actions have brought sin into the relationship. And they can ask for forgiveness, but what they're actually asking their spouse to do is for the sake of our relationship, will you absorb the cost of what I have done alongside of me? Will you continue to walk alongside of me with the debt of sin that I have brought into that? Right? It's at all expense to you, but for the sake of the relationship, will you do that? Now you're thinking that, that phrase has a lot more weight to it, doesn't it? When you ask your spouse to forgive you for what you did or for what you said. To think about that. I'm not asking God to forgive me. I'm asking God to absorb the cost of my debt. The debt doesn't go anywhere. It's not like he snaps his fingers and it just flew out the window. Like there's still a debt that has to be paid. So the forgiver absorbs it. And forgiveness also, requirement of that is that it releases the debtor of an expectation to make payment, even in part after the debt has been forgiven. Like it's not really forgiveness if later it's like, yeah, I forgave you, but now you're going to have to like pay up, you know? Like that's not really forgiveness either, right? And God, and God perfectly forgives. So forgiveness is releasing a claim. It's like letting go of the claim to the debt, owning it as my own for the sake of the relationship, right? So we're on the same page there. Let's just clarify again what forgiveness is not, just to make sure we're very specific. I had a few items here. Forgiveness is not God approving of my sin. It's not God coming along later and saying, you know what, I know... In past times, I was really harsh on this particular type of sin, and so now I've sort of changed my mind. I've gotten more reasonable as I've gone along, and so honestly, like, it's no big deal. You go do your thing, all right? That's not God saying, I forgive you. It doesn't matter, all right? That's not it. It's not God saying, silently approving of it. It's also not pacifying God with sorrowful words or actions so that I can continue to do what I want, you know, or add to the debt. It's not saying, well, maybe if I try really hard and I pray really meaningful prayers and I act really sad, you know, kind of like they did back in the Old Testament where they would wear sackcloth and walk around in ashes, like whatever the 2022 version of that is. Like, I'm just going to really look all beat up and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build up some emotions and I'm going to try to trick God into believing and manipulate him with my emotions. And I'm really sorry and I won't let that happen again. But knowing in my heart, I for sure am going to do that again. All right? I'm just trying to get this, this inconvenience out of the way. It's not that. All right, Because God knows your heart and he knows everything. So that's not going to work. It's also not God and I acting like nothing happened between us. It's not like God's like, all right, well. You seem, you, seem, you seem like you're really sorry, so let's just pretend it never happened, right? There's still a debt, right? Still a debt to be paid that needs to be addressed, and God is loving, yes, and God is also just. So he has to address that. 
It's not God choosing his love over his justice. It's not God saying, like, I'm going to turn that part of my character off. I'm not going to be about addressing what is wrong and, and, and telling you what is right. I'm not going to do that anymore because, just because I love you. Right? God is perfectly loving and simultaneously perfectly fair. Can you imagine how, how you would feel if God felt differently towards me and gave me a pass for what I wanted to do that was sinful, but he didn't for you? You would be outraged, right? You would be mad. You would accuse God of wrongdoing, and you would be fair to do that because God would have been unjust in that moment. God is loving, and so he can't be unfair. And because God is just, he is loving. So it's not God choosing love over his justice. It's also not God just getting over his anger or emotions. Kind of like when you tick off your friend and then you give him a day to cool off. Then you call him the next day and you're like, are we cool? Yeah, we're cool. It's not like God is just like has a short fuse and he's like, oh, I, can't, I can't believe they did this to me again. And then he calms down and he's like, okay. It's not his emotions. It's not like he's out of control. It's also not a removal of certain consequences of my choices. Just because I'm forgiven of of the debt of what I've done doesn't mean that there aren't repercussions from that, right? And we understand that in very real ways. Like every, every sin has certain repercussions. I can be forgiven, maybe even the person that I've harmed, if it was just one person, maybe that person can choose to uh, restore me in relationship and, and, and absorb the cost but something also has been damaged in that, namely trust, right? And that doesn't just go right back the way that it was before. So there, it doesn't just get rid of the consequences. And this is the last one. This is important to grab onto this. Really, it sums up all of them. It's not a feeling that God has for me. It's a choice that he makes for me. It's not a feeling that God has. Well, I'm feeling very forgiving today. It's active choice. I am forgiving today. I am absorbing cost of sin today. Why? Because you are worth everything that he has to pay. That's what I want you, and that's what I want me to walk away with and living in that reality after we leave today, all right? So just to kind of sum that up, this is one thing I want us to take away about God's forgiveness today, and then we're going to look at a couple examples of that in Psalms 32. The forgiveness of the Lord is a blessing for his people. A blessing for his people. Why do we have to state that? Because like I said before, we know that it is a gift of God. We know that by, by grace I have been saved through faith, that this is not my own doing. It is a gift of God, not of works, because I would brag about it. and take, take away from his glory. It's not that. Uh, but it is about a blessing because it is actively blessing me. I'm actually receiving blessing from it when I live as someone who is forgiven and I practice confession, repentance, and forgiveness as well. Okay, so here's a, uh, let's go ahead and read Psalms 32. I'm just going to read us through one through verse number seven. So just hang on for the ride. I'm going to read it all in one go. All right, so here it goes. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. 
For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, though my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. Why? Because you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. How is the forgiveness of the Lord a blessing for his People. Well, here's the first aspect of that blessing is that the forgiveness of the Lord is both freedom and freeing. It's freedom and freeing. All right? It says there in, in verse 1 Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Really underline that phrase, that idea of, being, of my sin being covered. That's significant. You see that throughout all of Scripture, going back, to, back and forth to this idea of a covering. And really it started, if you go back to the Garden of Eden, right? So put yourself in that place for a moment. You got Adam and Eve in the most perfect place that's ever existed on this planet, in a unique relationship with God, face to face, side by side. They had everything literally that they could ever want and ever need, and there was no sin at work in the world. Those are the conditions that God had for them in Eden, and that's, and that's how they were living. And they were going through the motions in that kind of way. And then sin entered in as the enemy tempted Eve, and she gave in, and she decided in that moment that I can make decisions for myself instead of God, which, let's be honest, that's literally every sin that we commit. We may not say those words, but that is what the spirit of our heart is that says, I know better in this moment than what God knows. You're effectively saying what Eve said, which is, I can be like God. And so sin enters in. Adam, her husband, who, by the way, lest you think he was like somewhere else while this was going down. There are only two people in the world. Their social circle was very small. Okay, so uh, he was right there, okay, make no mistake, watching this go down. And what's really devious about that even is he's kind of like, even before he ate of the fruit himself, he was already sort of willing to let his wife, like, be the guinea pig for what was going to happen, right? Strong, strong spiritual leader in their home there. As he watched her take a bite, and he's like, well, she didn't fall over. Looks pretty good. You know, he follows suit. Let me ask you this. After that went down, what is the first thing that they did? Do you know? They had a realization. A realization they had never had before. We're naked, right? We don't have clothes on. They didn't even know what clothes were. They're just like, why do I feel so vulnerable and ashamed? I didn't feel this way before. You know, and, and by the way, it was just the two of them. And they still were like, we're naked. So what do they do? They go out and find fig tree, somehow make an outfit out of plant leaves. I'm pretty impressed by that, right? No clothes making experience. No clothes have been invented yet. They're like, we're going to make the first clothes. And they made it out of leaves, all right? Maybe not the best effort, but it's what they had to work with. So they make some clothes, cover up themselves, and then what do they do? Go hide. Isn't that interesting? Their first instinct was to do what? Cover themselves and hide. 
And isn't that exactly how our instincts operate as well? We may may not be inclined to put on fig leaves, make a physical covering for ourselves, but we find plenty of creative ways to try to package what we do in a different light. Do we not? Like we, look for, we look for other people to shift blame to. And that, that's what Adam and Eve did too, by the way. It's like, Eve's like, yeah, the snake made me do it. Adam's like, yeah, the woman made me do it. And then later they're kind of like, well, really, it's your fault, God, because you, you know, put us here in this situation. Like, we blame shift. That's one way that we try to cover ourselves. Uh, another way we try to cover ourselves is to find other people to validate the particular sin that I'm wrestling with to make me not feel like it's wrong. I can cover myself with delusion. You see that? Like we see that all the time. If I get enough people to say that this isn't wrong, then I can wear that as a covering to justify myself that sin is okay. You know what that is? That's just fig leaves. That's not going to hold up to anything. You know what's really beautiful about that is that in that moment, when God calls to them in the afternoon, when he comes to walk with them, where are you guys at? He knows where they are. He finds them in the bushes. What are you doing in there? Well, we were naked. Who told you we were naked? What have you done? And in that moment, I think our mind immediately goes to like, the reality and the gravity of sin and what had changed, and that it is where it should go. But make no mistake, in that same moment, God did something very significant. As he is proclaiming that someone will come, a child, an offspring of yours will come and crush the head of sin and death forever and give you victory over what has transpired to redeem you. As he's doing that, something else significant happens. Do you remember what it is? God finds animals. Animals. Done nothing wrong. Part of God's creation. God himself killed the animals and removed their skin and he covered his people with their skin. Isn't that interesting that God, why did he bother to do that? Why is he just kind of like, you know, figure out your clothes problem. That's your deal. You caused that. God himself covered their nakedness, but it came at a cost. Remember, that cost doesn't go away. It's paid by the forgiver. It came at the cost of a life. And that's why I want, I want to take you now, hold your place there in Psalms, and go to Romans chapter 8. And some of you need to hold on to these verses like your life depend on it, especially those of us that maybe grew up in an environment where our, there was a lot of emphasis on our good behavior, and we got it into our heads that God is primarily concerned about how good we are or what kind of clothes that we wear or what words we say or do not say or which days of the week that we go to church or not or all of those things, all right? Many of us, especially here in this area, come from a background that feels a lot like that. And it's hardwired into our mind to just see, and even in God's picture in the Garden of Eden, just to to hear him proclaiming the judgment and having them leave Eden and miss out on the covering. Okay, so I need you and I need me to rest in the truth 
of what Paul says in Romans 8. And this is verse number one. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. You need to underline, circle, put a star, whatever you do. Why? Why is there no condemnation for those whose faith is in the work of Jesus Christ? Because the law of the spirit of life has set you free. He set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. What does he mean, the law of sin and death? That law is the law that said you have to meet the standards of God. You have to do the things that God wants you to do. There's no sin at work in your life. That was the standard that Adam and Eve were living in in the Garden of Eden before sin. Everything that they wanted was what God wanted. Everything that they said was pleasing to the Lord. In that moment before sin, they were holy, and in the moment after, they broke all of that. And they stood accused. And when he's saying, in verse number two, the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, he's like, his conditions have fundamentally changed from where you stood before. How did that happen? Verse three, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, that was us, right? We couldn't keep it, could not do, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Make sure you don't leave out that word likeness. Jesus did not sin. He sent him for sin. He, Jesus, condemned sin in the flesh. To sum that up, God broke the game, right? He sent in a perfect man, in what is imperfect flesh here in this world, right? We, that is us. He came among us and he kept the law 100% from start to finish. So it voided. Like when he, when he willingly gave his life, which is the rightful cost for sin according to scripture, when he gave it freely, that was un, that's unthinkable by the terms of the law that someone that is, un, that is not guilty would give up their freedom freely. But that's the only thing that God would accept. He's like, if I'm going to pour out and be able to forgive your sin and your sin and my sin and absorb the cost to satisfy my justice, then I'm going to pour it out on my son and not you. And the Bible tells me I only have to receive that. I only have to believe that and receive it for that to take. And when that happens, the rules are changed. There's no debt over my head anymore. There's no fingers that can be pointed at me anymore. What's the result of the law being condemned by what Jesus did? Verse 4, he did it in order that the righteous requirement of the law, right, the, the requirement that I should be holy, would be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but the spirit. He's like, that's why he had to do it. He was trying literally to make you holy. Jesus was making you holy before God. The same words that talk about making holy in the Old Testament, it's the word sanctify, and it's also tied into the same phrase of being covered. Did you know that? It's really interesting how that works together. He's like, he's literally dressed you in holiness. 
God looked at the animals and covered Adam and Eve with their skin. God looked at Jesus and he took his righteousness and put it on you. And now you stand before God there. So what does that mean for you? There's therefore now no condemnation. There's no reason for you to to walk around in shame if you have a relationship with Jesus, feeling shame and being burdened down with guilt and fear of God's judgment are not the clothes that you're supposed to be wearing. Forgiveness is a blessing because it it's already freed me from the weight of guilt and shame. It's already done. It was final freedom. When Jesus said, it is finished, that meant it's paid. And the resurrection was the receipt. It's done. I'm already forgiven. All right, so I, that was something that has been done for me. But it's also a daily expression of understanding because the reality is, is, is like one of my favorite books, one of my favorite old Puritan books, Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, has this image of, of the main character, his name is Christian. And it's really a, an allegory for how someone comes to faith in Jesus and walks through the Christian life. And there's this imagery of him walking through his life before he meets Jesus with this immense burden tied to his back, so much so that it physically is altering the way that he lives. And friends, I'm telling you, there are many of us who I know profess relationship with Jesus Christ. You claim that free gift, and yet you still walk around as though there's a tremendous burden on your back. You know what that is? And I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm saying like I'm right there with you sometimes. That's me and you not receiving the blessing of forgiveness. It's a blessing. It freed me, and it is freeing me every day when I live in that So here's the second one. We'll move along. Forgiveness is a blessing because it frees me, excuse me, the forgiveness of the Lord is sobering and sanctifying. It's sobering and sanctifying. Go back to Psalms. Go back to verse number three. Now he sort of backs up a little bit as he's uh, reading. This is, remember, it's a song. So he's kind of stepping, taking a step back and informing why he feels blessed in these next few verses. He describes some of the emotions that he, is, that he has felt and maybe you can resonate with when there's something that needs to be addressed between you and God. This is what he says in verse three. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. All of us can understand that illustration right now. Feeling very dried up. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You see those like physical characteristics of what he was experiencing when he came to the understanding that something was not right. I have brought something into my relationship with the Lord that is unholy. And even though, like I know that there is forgiveness in that, it's bothering me, right? It's, it doesn't set well with me. Have you experienced that before? Like when, when you really feel like the Holy Spirit is pressing on you and like there's something I need to deal with? Maybe practically also like 
Have you experienced that in a different relationship with a person? Uh, maybe a marriage, for example. When there were, you guys, if something happened, there was a fight, and you experienced the pressure in a very real way because you're sleeping on the couch and she's in the bed, right? Like that's, that's a very tangible example of like, yeah, something's not right. And there's a certain urgency that is pressing me to deal with the situation. That's what he's describing. He said, because God and I are in a relationship we have a relationship, which, by the way, is a two-way street. I contribute to it, and God does, that when I brought something into the relationship that has broken trust, it doesn't set well with me. And I feel uncomfortable about it. And let me tell you, we don't like that. I don't like that feeling of uncomfortableness. You use the, the, the word for that. The biblical word for that is, is conviction. Holy Spirit conviction. And that sounds like a bad word. Again, if you grew up in some of the background that I had, conviction was all about just highlighting what you did wrong. But I want you to change your thinking on that because God is not coming at you with threats of judgment when the Holy Spirit is pressing on you. I want you to think about it this way. Let's say I have an injury. Let's say I get an injury and somehow I'm impaled and I'm bleeding out and you're there with me if you have even the smallest understanding of medical treatment, what are you going to do while hopefully you're calling 911? What are you going to do? You're going to put pressure on that injury. Now, are you trying to harm me? Is it going to hurt when you stick your hands on that hole and press on me? Yes, for sure it is. Might pass out. But you're showing love for me in that moment. Why? Because if you didn't put pressure on me, what would happen to me? I bleed out. When, when the Holy Spirit is pressing on you and me to highlight where we have stepped into sin, he's not doing it to bring guilt and shame. He's doing it because he loves me. And he's trying to get my attention to staunch the bleeding of my heart that will just continue on in deceit to do it at once to get my attention that there's something that needs to be addressed. Now, here's the best part, though. He's, he's the one putting the pressure, and he's the doctor. <laughs> he can fix that in the same moment. But he's not, he's, he, cannot, he cannot give me the forgiveness until I arrive at the reality that there's something wrong right? There's, there's something wrong between us. Look what he, what he gives us here in verse number six, excuse me, verse number five. He lays out a roadmap. How do I walk and, and enjoy the blessings of God's forgiveness in the daily ways when I'm confronted with the reality of my sin, when I'm feeling that conviction, that loving conviction? He says this, this is what I did. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. There's that phrase again, I'm going to take it to God, and I'm not going to try to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to try to look at it in a light where I'm like, well, I kind of feel like that was justified because this circumstance was happening, or this individual in my life was really ticking me off, or these people did this, and so I felt like I needed to retaliate by doing this. It's not doing any of that. That's just covering. That's, that's fig leaves. It is. Stepping into the nakedness of the moment, the vulnerability, and acknowledging what it is. 
It's, it's standing before God and, and using, to use another biblical word, confessing. Confessing, which really just means to agree with God. To say that it is true, that what God says is true. This is sin. Not justifying it, not comparing myself in the moment to be like, well, it's not as bad as what he's doing, so it's really not that big of a deal to our relationship with God. It's acknowledging that even a small measure of rebellion in my heart, I don't want that to be there because that's getting in the way of relationship. You know why that that is? Because relationships are built upon trust. And honesty is the currency of trust. That's true for any relationship. That's the way you restore trust, by the way in broken relationships is by moving forward in honesty. That's the only way that can happen. It doesn't happen with lies. So this confession piece, this, this moving forward in, in honesty is not about something that's for God. That's, about, that's for me. That's a gift to me to be able to, to come forward and, and explain and agree with him what it is, to call it what it is. Because when I've done that, that's when he can rush in and actually do something about that. But it takes one more piece to the equation, I didn't cover it. I said, I'll confess it to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sins. The other part of that confessing peace is another Bible word that we don't maybe fully understand the depth of, and that's the word repentance. Repentance, which literally just means to, to turn and go in a new way. There's a real, a real example of that. What if you, in front of your house there was a road and at the end of that road you knew because you lived there, that just a mile down the road, well, there was a sudden cliff on the road. And so cars would go by, you know, how many cars would have to go by your house that week, one direction and never come back the other way for you to realize, maybe I should put like a sign out there or something, right? Maybe I should put a roadblock. Maybe I should like cut down a tree or hire a backhoe and like build a wall so people don't go. Like you wouldn't wait very long. You don't be like, oh, well, I guess only 10 people drove off the cliff today. It's not that bad. Now you'd feel urgency. See, that's what repentance is. Repentance is not just saying, I'm sorry, 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 sorry. Repentance is going in a new way. That's part of the acknowledgement of the weight of what sin does in relationship. It says, if I have any power within me, not to walk down the same set of path of circumstances that led to the outcome of what happened before between me and you, God. If there's anything that I can do to stop that, why in the world would I not do that? Why would I not put a guardrail up? Why would I just keep trying the same thing in the same way over and over again and hoping for a different result? We know that doesn't work out well for anything. That's what repentance is. Repentance is saying enough is enough. I don't want to introduce this sin into our relationship again, God. I know that I am weak, but to the best of my ability, I am moving in a different direction. I'm putting something in the way so I don't go back there again because I already know what my heart wants to do. See, that's part of the sorrowfulness of like accepting what has happened. If I'm truly sorrowful for what sin does in my relationship, wouldn't I want to do something to ensure that I didn't harm the one that I loved again? So God invites me. He's like, come into confession. 
it may feel scary, right? Because I am confronted with my own nakedness before him. But the backside of that is, is when I confess, when I've acknowledged, when I don't try to cover up what I have done, what is the outcome in verse 5? He forgave the iniquity of my sin. He cannot take on the debt for the sake of the relationship and give me the fullness of what I'm desiring to have until I've got to the place where I can acknowledge what has happened between us. It's a requirement. Forgiveness The forgiveness of God is sobering. Why? Because I'm confronted with the reality of my sin. It awakens me to the nature of our relationship, what I brought into it. But it's also sanctifying. That's another another church word. All that means is that day by day, as I'm walking in that cycle of confession and repentance and forgiveness, that that is making me wise and godly like Jesus is. It's It's transforming me. See, the Christian life is not about like a one and done confession and repentance and forgiveness. Yes, Jesus' freedom was final freedom. We're not arguing that point at all. But it's a daily choice to walk in that forgiveness and to enjoy that forgiveness and walking through that cycle, not out of fear, but because I know what the outcome's gonna be. Because God's outcome is always the same. Because of why? Because he loves me. That's his position towards me. This is the last thing this morning. Last aspect of blessing, the blessing of the Lord's forgiveness is that the forgiveness of the Lord is security and shelter. Security and shelter. Verse 6 and 7, therefore, or otherwise, because of this, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Maybe the question that was in your mind as we kind of wrapped that last last blessing was something like this. Why do I then need to confess sin and receive forgiveness if Jesus already died to forgive all of that? That's a legitimate question to ask. And this is what you you need to pay attention to. First in that first part of verse 6, He's addressed this, let everyone who is godly. He wasn't writing that to someone that doesn't know God. He was writing that to, to people that do know God. Like, so if you are godly, offer a prayer at a time. So he's, he's encouraging. This is something that people who know God, who have a relationship with God, this is what they do. Why, does, why do we do that? Why is that necessary? It's because God doesn't just want to relieve you of a burden. Right, that image from Pilgrim's Progress. He doesn't want to just relieve you of a burden. He wants to relate to you as a father. It is about a relationship. That's why it is necessary. Because you're building a relationship with one another. Confession and forgiveness and repentance. What do they do in a relationship? They reaffirm the security of that relationship. Do they not? That this relationship can be trusted that if I, even if I mess up, that there is a way forward in that. That there can be healing and restoration in that. God doesn't need that security in the relationship. That's for me. So the more times I have opportunity, which, let's be honest, is every day I have opportunity to take a reflective moment back and recognize that even in this day, 
God, I have stepped out in this way to try to take authority that wasn't mine. And even in those, those moments of every day practicing and repeating and living in that reality, that that is confirming in my heart, not that I am faithful, but that God is. God, God doesn't need that. That's for me. You know, every, I shared this at the beginning, but, you know, every time my girls are going to come to me and ask me to get a splinter out of their finger or their toe or wherever else, I'm going to do it every single time. I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm to keep doing it as long as they'll allow me to do that because I know that at some point as they get older, there's going to be things more significant than splinters in their life. Or the temptation is to run and to flee from the love and security of the family. And they're going to try to hide. And they're going to try to cover themselves. And they're going to try to validate that in some way. How do I know that? Because that's how we all are. So every single time they come to me and they bring that to me, I'm going to get out my tweezers. I'm going to get out my alcohol swabs. And I'm going, to, I'm going to put pressure on it. I'm going to pull out that splinter because I want them to see that their father, when they come to their father with a problem that they can't handle, that he's going to take care of it for them. And he's got their back. And that is exactly the reason that God invites us to experience the blessings of forgiveness, not with shame. I don't look at my kids and say, I can't believe you got another splinter. When are you going to stop learning to play with wood? I don't say that. I say, show me where it hurts. Let daddy get in there. Let me get it out for you. See, because of God's consistency and that freedom that his forgiveness brings, I am safe. I love that he says, you're a hiding place for me. In my sin, I want to hide from him. He's like, in, in, if you're experiencing the blessing of living forgiven, your hiding place will be within our relationship. That's where you'll find validation. That's where you will be truly known. That's where you experience love that's unconditional. And that's where you will see my faithfulness in your life. Forgiveness of the Lord is a blessing for his people. Do you believe that this morning? Would you do me a favor? Close your eyes for a second. Second, I'm going to read the last two verses of that chapter over you. I think it's an amazing celebration of the life of those who wear Jesus' righteousness, who are free and are being freed those that are walking daily in the path of forgiveness and enjoying that, this is our reality. And then when I finish, we're going to give you a moment at your seat just to talk to your father. Maybe you need to clear the air. Maybe there's something that you need to address and, and maybe you are feeling that loving pressure even today and, and you feel like you need to respond to that or maybe you just need to take a moment to celebrate Celebrate that forgiveness. I'm going to read these verses over you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, 
but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart.